You're listening to Green State, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, the agency responsible for restoring, maintaining, and enhancing the quality of Oregon's air, land, and water. On Green State, you'll hear about DEQ projects, programs, and emerging environmental issues facing Oregonians. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. I'm Dylan Darling. And I'm Lauren Wirtis, and we're communications staff at DEQ who host this podcast to tell stories about how DEQ is protecting Oregon's air, land, and water. And today, we're telling a really exciting story about some innovation in air quality. And hopefully you find this podcast a little inspiring. After our conversation, uh, I I just really found myself fired up and reminded about those things that you can just learn and and challenge yourself with. Don't be afraid of learning something new. Hopefully I'm setting that up in in a way without revealing too much. And uh, Lauren, you first met our interviewee, uh, Richard Dang. Tell us, how did you meet him? So Richard is a student at Lincoln High School in Portland, and he reached out to our air quality staff, both policy and lab folks, with some questions about the air quality index that we use to evaluate the air quality and all the data that go into that air quality index number, in which DEQ uses to determine whether or not an advisory goes out when the air is smoky. And I'll just jump in with a quick reminder to folks. If you want the deep dive on air quality and wildfire smoke, the first three episodes of Green State are all about that. Our series is called Where There's Smoke. Please check it out if you haven't already. That's a great reminder, Dylan. And so um, DEQ staff... We're talking to Richard about all that data he was looking for. And then a few months later, he contacted them again, saying he developed an air quality prediction tool with over 90% accuracy. And so uh, those staff looped me in and I was really intrigued to find out more. I bet I I would be too. That's a pretty impressive accuracy. (laughs) Right. So we met with him and he walked us through this really incredible process he's gone through to clean the data and apply machine learning and all of these, all of this lingo that uh, I don't totally understand. And it's so cool and a bit complicated. And I certainly couldn't explain it myself, which is why we decided to have him on the podcast. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I was alluding to earlier about this being inspiring is is talking to Richard is he just, you know, he took on this challenge of, you know, knowing what he wanted to figure out and had to kind of pick up skills along the way. Um, But he also he just has a natural knack of explaining some of these complex things. You know, it's the type of stuff that we do daily in our roles as public affairs specialists at DQ trying to make science understandable. He's just a natural at it. You're so right, Dylan. He's really good at it. Real quick, I just want to give a couple of terms that you'll probably hear during our discussion. First is air quality index, sometimes abbreviated to AQI. This is the way we measure air quality. If you have the Oregon Air app, which we'll mention again later in the podcast, the numbers on that app are the air quality index numbers. And the other term is machine learning, which is what Richard uses for his tool. 
machine learning is actually a branch of artificial intelligence and computer science, which focuses on the use of data and algorithms to imitate the way that humans learn, but gradually improving their accuracy. So you'll hear Richard talk about the program learning and becoming more accurate. That's because when you tell the machine how to prioritize and understand data and then keep feeding data into it, it can automatically continue to update its understanding of the data and hold much, much more than we could in our brains. So Lon and I were able to chat with Richard. So let's listen to our conversation and we'll then talk about how we might be able to use his work going forward. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, why we're talking today? Well, I'm Richard Dang. Uh, I'm a freshman currently at Lincoln High School. And I did a project on uh, an air quality prediction tool. And what it does is it, then inside the name, it predicts for the air quality. And I kind of did this project in order to help for like the benefit and like the health of the community around my area. Because over the past few years, air quality often it has drastically increased it. And then it would just like drastically impact my life. And I'm sure it impacted everyone else's lives. And I thought, hey, what if I created a prediction tool so that it could help us like stay ready for this part? So I tried creating an air quality prediction tool by implementing different combinations of machine learning methods, as well as implementing a novel weights method to combine the two machine learning methods. And in the end, the accuracy of this air quality prediction tool that I tested got around a 95% accuracy. That's awesome. So yeah, so you told us a bit about what inspired you to make that tool. It sounds like it was a little bit of those 2020 wildfire smoke impacts. So how do you envision this tool being used then? So is it for wildfire season specifically or like all of the time predicting air quality? I mean, in my opinion, I think... It's definitely, it'll bring like a drastic impact during wildfire time. But like, I think it could also bring a lot of impact to people throughout the year because often people who have like serious medical like emergencies and even like the slightest change in air quality could like drastically impact their health. So I think that if you were to bring this to them for the whole year, it would probably help them out. I'm just curious, you know, this is the interesting part of podcasting where we might be talking about something, but you're not able to see it. So can you just describe, you know, what the tool looks like a little bit? Are we talking about an app and just, you know, explain what it what it looks like for the user? Right. So I'm envisioning, yes, probably either a website or an app to go with this because mainly this thing is like a piece of software and all of it was done on an open source uh, data mining tool called Orange. Mm -hmm. So if I were to implement the software on Orange into like some sort of website or an app, I think it could become like a very great use to people. And obviously if it were to become an app, it won't just like show all of the code and everything. We'll probably make it simpler and easier for use. Yeah. Okay. So that makes, that makes good sense. And how does that work with 
data. So what kind of data were you using? And then how did the machine learning kind of manage that data and its usability for doing this prediction? So I took, I combined DEQ data as well as EPA data. So I took weather and pollutant data from the DEQ, and then I took the AQI data from the AQI values from the EPA. And then this data combined into one big, gigantic database. And then I had to go through like multiple steps of data pre-processing to make sure that all of the instances of weather and pollutant data were matching with the AQI data. So I didn't want the weather and pollutant data of yesterday to go uh, matching with like uh, next week's AQI data. After matching them together, I then ran it through the orange system for the different individual machine learning methods. But for the actual, for the actual AQI predictions, what I did was I took, I believe I took one fifth of the data that I had of the big data set and I deleted the AQI values, but I kept the uh, weather and pollutant data. So I then inserted that into the orange software. And what it did was it had the machine learning methods predict for the AQI on those uh, different instances. And then I would compare their com- uh, their predictions to the actual one, to the actual AQI. And then after that, I would then check for the accuracy. Yeah, it's interesting. Our, our existing tool, it's so much a snapshot of what is and not necessarily what's to come and what's to happen. I, I know, particularly as you get close to like football season and things like that, well, people, it's like, well, can I go to the game Saturday? Is it going to be smoky? So having that look ahead, it's going to be huge. And, and gosh, I don't know a lot about technology or, you know, less than I should. But, you, you know, when you talk about machine learning and some of these things, could, could you take us a little bit through the process of creating this tool? Right. So basically what I did was I took these individual machine learning methods and basically what each individual machine learning method did was they each have their own different pattern or di- own different course of predicting something. So by taking all of the accuracies of them, figuring that out through the orange tool, because that's like an automatic thing uh, inside the orange tool. After figuring out their accuracies, I decided to take just the top three of the machine learning methods because I thought that because this is like a prototype kind of uh, project, I felt like taking three would be sufficient. So after taking three of them, I then took their outputs and I implemented a novel weights formula. What the novel weights formula did was it kind of gave the machine learning method with more accuracy or higher accuracy, more favorability. So if one machine learning method had, say, a 2% accuracy and then another one had a 99% accuracy, it would obviously give a lot more favorability to the 99% accuracy one. Well, one other thing I was wondering, it's a term I've heard, but I don't know how to explain that well. How do you define machine learning? Learning is like, it has been like that phrase. It's circulating around a lot of science projects, I believe. And what I did was I like tried to search it up and even I couldn't really understand it. But 
there are uh what I did was I took the machine learning methods and what those did were each one had like a different method for prediction. So one of them I believe was decision tree where it would take say you have three different attributes. You have uh the temperature and then you have humidity and you have something else. But yeah, if it were to take uh, what decision tree did was it took temperature as like the first decision maker. And if that temperature was say above 70 degrees, then it would go to humidity and it would decide whether humidity had that above something or it would go to the other side if it were less than 70 degrees. But yeah, all of these machine learning methods are like really interesting and they're all, all like pretty complicated. So I just like went through like a tiny bit over them, but I would definitely recommend if like someone out there is super interested inside these machine learning methods to go just search them up and just try to figure them out, just test them out and just go for it. On something that sticks out to me earlier on, you mentioned that you've gotten to well, you have 95 percent accuracy. I'm curious, did earlier versions not do as well? Was this like a process of improving it? Of course. <laughs> and yeah. So how did you go about that? How did you improve it? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I feel like, oh, on my first trial, it was, like, a complete failure. <laughs> I remember, like, my accuracy was, like, 25% or oh, something. Man. And I was like, oh, gosh, this isn't going to work. And I feel like <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of it was because I chose to do, I don't know, I, I think I chose to do categorical data instead of valued data. So I, instead of taking the AQI values, I took like their categories and, uh, there were like multiple errors with the system, uh, surrounding the machine learning methods when I did that. So I was like, oh gosh, I better use the AQI values. And then there was also the part of the data pre-processing. Like I didn't even realize that my data was like super unbalanced. <laughs> so when I put it inside my, when I put it inside the orange tool, it just like, yeah, it did not work out. And then inside the procedural steps, I feel like over time it got better. The pr prediction accuracy got better because I did something called feature analysis where I took each weather and pollutant like attribute. So say like PM 2.5, uh, something along the lines of that. And what I did was I deleted that from the data set. And I used like say one individual machine learning method to test out like the difference in accuracies after I deleted that one attribute. If the prediction accuracy went up after deleting that one attribute, then that would mean that deleting the attribute would be a good idea because then it would increase the overall prediction accuracy. So over time, I did... One, two, I think, I think I had a total of like 15 different attributes. And then I think it went all the way down to like nine or seven. That was, that was really interesting to hear about um, your adventures with that tool. Cause yeah, I'm sure I know you were kind of like learning everything as you explored it. So that's, uh, it's fun to hear about that process. And one thing I'll just say that's been 
fun about talking with you. Like when we were talking with Margaret and Dan is I just really enjoy your like pure curiosity around this topic and like exploring new ways to just make it better. So it's just very fun. And it sounds like the level of accuracy. So that means the extent to which the numbers like predict the right AQI, right? Okay. Then how does it work for like the person out there thinking like, okay, I get that they like match. How does it then predict into the future? So if we know AQI is 300 for fun, say today, how, how does it tell us what, what it means for tomorrow or a few hours from now? Right. So I think because the prediction uh, requires the weather and pollutant data, I think if you were to take that weather and pollutant data of say the next day, it would be able to use that data to then predict the AQI. But it also takes into account the past data. So it takes the past data's instances and it sees like, say, oh, when PM 2.5 is really high, I think uh, the AQI is also going to be really high. So it sees that little pattern there and then it takes that into account into its next prediction. So as time goes on, as the data set or the big data table becomes bigger and bigger, then the prediction accuracy will become higher and higher because then it'll have more instances to reference for that one day that you're trying to predict. I would be sitting in my room with like headphones on, listening to music for like three hours straight, just looking at data tables. And I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a successful day because <laughs> eventually, eventually the data, the data did like start to match up and the predictions did start to work out. Absolutely. And uh, one other quick follow-up question and let Lauren get to hers. Um, you mentioned listening to music. I am curious, what's your playlist as you're crunching AQI data? What, what do you got in the headphones? I feel like I listen to a bit of hip hop and then I also like to listen to some just just some relaxing piano uh it's some very two different music genres and some days i'd be like oh let's get things done let's do this do this do this so then on those days i think i would just like jam into a hip-hop uh album but then <laughs> on other days i'm like okay let's let's calm down and let's think this through <laughs> and then i'll play the like piano music violin music no, I, I actually, as a writer, particularly, I, I found some piano ones that I'd put on and also um, uh, like Buena Vista Social Club because like it, I like hearing words, but it helps if it's in Spanish because then I'm not like thinking about the anyway. What do you think might be next? What, what do you hope to do with your tool? Well, obviously, it would be amazing to get this actually published into like the public give it to them for their use, for their health. Because obviously the end goal of this project is to just help the general public and to help like our daily lives. Yeah, that would be really, really cool. And so I'm just kind of curious because, you know, you obviously have to be incredibly interested in science and technology and everything to just kind of stick with the whole process that you have to go through in developing this tool. So I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about what you liked about the process of developing this, you know, even when it's tough and even when you go, oh my goodness, like this was not what I thought was going to happen. Right. So like, I think 
when I was very young, I was like doing a like a tiny science project on like electricity and like conductivity. And like I was testing different materials and their conductivity. And I came up with this conclusion. It was very like low detailed, but I I thought it was really fun. And I thought that I enjoyed my time because the procedure and like the steps it, you need to take in order to get like that final conclusion, everything that goes into like the project and the making of the project felt like a very progressive sort of steps or sort of like instructions and it was almost like following like a lego instructor or something except you would create that lego or you would create your own instructions and man that is that is crazy because you can do literally anything with this and later on in life uh i want to be able to like do this again i want to I want to try it out with like actual settings and actual doing something like impactful to the society. And just, just knowing that I'm trying or I'm at least trying to do something to help like the, for the betterment of like our society is just, it's like a blessing to be honest. Like I'm having fun while just like, just helping people. Yeah, no, there's one thing I wanted to clarify. This wasn't for a school project or science competition. It, this is something that you took on during, during the summertime, correct? Yeah, this project just sparked in my mind. And I was like, man, I really want to just get this done. I want to try it out because I didn't have really anything planned for the summer. So I was like, well, if I don't have anything planned, I might as well just get something done. Eventually, this project was entered into uh, NWSC's regional fair, and then it also qualified for the state fair, which actually occurred yesterday. That was pretty fun. I got, I think, a total of two awards from the state fair and then three from the regional fair. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, since it seems like you enjoyed this process, is this something you kind of are looking forward to doing more of in the future? Do you feel like you really enjoyed and want to stay on the path of like the software programming, machine learning, the, or just, are you really interested in improving air quality? What did you kind of learn about your interests in the process of doing this? To be honest, I'm still keeping my options really open right now. As a freshman in high school, I'm like, Let's just take this slow. Let's <laughs> let's first enjoy our high school life and Absolutely. let's think about that inside the near future. And uh, I think because I actually really enjoy like talking to others and talking to people about things that, like I enjoy or things that are important to them. I feel like, oh gosh, I am not too sure. I know that I enjoy talking to people. I know that I enjoy like going through the science, scientific like methods and scientific procedures. If there could be like something that com- could like possibly combine those two, that would be awesome. Options are open. Everything's everything's still just like waving around in my mind. It was so much fun talking with Richard. I just enjoyed him so much. And um, to what you said earlier, Dylan, before we got into the interview, he just has a wonderful knack for explaining really complicated things 
um, and just incredible comfort doing so. I don't think I would have been able to just present myself in that way as a high school freshman. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just, it's so great to talk to a, a passionate young person. Something I was really impressed by was how he just kind of took this on his own. It wasn't necessarily for a class assignment or it was just like following his own interests. I really, you know, it's, um, I wanted to send him links to some of our job openings. Like, hey, have you thought of working at VP yet? But, you know, he's got a, a road ahead of him, but just really cool to, to meet someone as passionate as him. Really fun and interesting to imagine what he might be able to do in the future. But, you know, since we met with Richard, DEQ staff, those policy and lab folks have continued to talk with him and connect him to other folks like at the National Weather Service and other organizations to help him make this tool everything he really wants it to be. And so this podcast is coming out during Air Quality Awareness Week and Wildfire Awareness Month. So um, of course it was great to feature Richard and we wanted to provide you also with some reminders about how to get prepared for this wildfire season since we don't yet have his prediction tool. We've got a great checklist in the show notes where I'll show you what to do in preparation for wildfire season. It includes things like download the Organail app on your smartphone so you can know what the air quality is wherever you are around Oregon or where you are thinking about going. It doesn't have a fancy prediction tool on it just yet, but that's why you should also bookmark the Oregon Smoke Blog webpage. Just search for Oregon Smoke Blog in Google or whatever search engine you might use, and it'll come right up. On the blog, we put out smoke watch posts that provide some predictions for where smoke might be going. That's right. And also, don't forget to sign up through Gov Delivery to get an email and or a text from DEQ whenever we put out an air quality advisory. You can find the link in the show notes as well as at the bottom of any DEQ webpage. You can also get notified about advisories by following us on Twitter at ORSmokeInfo and, of course, following DEQ. Okay, so a little more advice for you since... Hopefully that's why you come to Green State. Plan ahead for your home. These are tips to do around the house. So if you have air conditioning, a false system or unit, make sure you have a MOV 13 filter handy for those really smoky times. This is something I, I, I mentioned in our Where There's Smoke series that I didn't even really know how those filters work that much, but they're really invaluable when you figure out how to <laughs> change them out. And then if you don't have air conditioning, look up some simple ways to make your own. You can actually use a box fan and one of these filters, some duct tape and a little bit of elbow grease. And next thing you know, you got yourself a filter. Exactly. And remember, it's good to prioritize clean air where you sleep since you spend so much time in that room. If you keep your bedroom air clean, you kind of have your own clean air space and then maybe have a backup plan of a friend or family member whose place you could go to if you need cleaner air. Also, many local governments are doing a lot of work to create clean air spaces like libraries where people who don't have easy access to clean air can go during smoky times. And also talk to your friends and family about preparing. Does everyone have the information they need? 
Do they know where and how to install a filter? If you're planning a camping trip advance, what range of activities could you do if it gets smokier? It's just one of those things that seems like now just part of the planning of camping and things like that. Um, you know, I like backpacking and hiking a lot. And it's now, what's the smoke situation? What's the fire situation? What are we getting ourselves into? Exactly. Exactly. It's such a good point. And we need everyone to have this information so that they can all be safe. And while it's not the most fun thing to talk about, we want to just imagine those beautiful summer days we'll be having soon when it isn't snowing in the middle of April. And just think about how we'll be having fun all summer long. So we're hoping this checklist can really make all of that easier so we can all have as much fun as possible and enjoy those warm summer days, but also stay safe. I think that is it for this episode of Green State. As the summer continues to approach, we'll be bringing you podcasts about harmful algae blooms and beach monitoring. Looking forward to it. See you next time on Green State. Thank you for listening to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. And thanks to all the voices who contributed to the conversation. Our music is by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get our upcoming episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. And if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to cover, you can reach us at 503-451-0585 or by email at green.state.oregon.gov. To find out more, go to dequblog.com slash greenstate.